So it's Father's Day, and as I said before, I, I, uh, I don't always plan preaching. I don't plan preaching, first of all. I don't do that. I've noticed some pastors that will always get what they're going to preach for the entire year. They'll go in January and they'll do that. It's just the craziest thing. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you assume that far ahead. Um, I try to be very sensitive. I try to the leading of the Spirit and... Uh, we are in Romans for certain, but this week we need to be talking about Father's Day. So we're going to be talking about leading with love today. Now that typically isn't an attractive title for a sermon on for men. Leading with love sounds awfully ushy-gushy. Uh, but I think you'll see that when you get to the core of love that we receive from God the Father, it is more than sufficient uh, in its firmness, in its toughness, in its tenderness, to equip us with what we need to be as dads. So here's what I want to say to you, fathers. I am not going to whoop up on you today. You don't need beat up on. What I am going to do, though, and I'm talking to me too, I'm going to talk to all of us as men here today. Some of you are fathers, some of you are not. Some of you are father figures to children or to young people. Uh, and, and generally speaking, the things that I'm going to be talking about today have everything to do with being a godly man. Okay. Now specifically yes to fathers. Because not only are. If you're a Christian man. You have every reason. To desire these attributes. But if you have been blessed with a. With a child. Or, or if you have been blessed with a. A child that is not biologically yours. But one to lead. Maybe God has brought one into your life. Maybe you're an older man and God has brought a younger man into your life to, to mentor. You, you best pay attention to, to what it is you've been given and how you're going to lead. But everything that I'm going to say has everything to do with being a godly man in general, but specifically to fathers today. I thought what I would do, though, I like history. Anyone else like history here? I like history. <clears throat> Where did Father's Day come from? Okay. If you watch almost any show on television that involves a father these days, it's common to see a dad who is portrayed as an idiot. Isn't it true? Okay. When it comes to his children and family, he is portrayed as an idiot. In real life, many men have been told straight up, you don't really parent, you babysit. And that's the message, by and large, that's been given to men. You're just a side note. It is estimated that people spent more than $15 billion celebrating dad this past Father's Day. While all the celebration, or why all the celebration of dads really don't make that much of a difference in the lives of children. In an article for the Institute for Family Studies, Dr. William Genius, Harvard graduate and professor at California State University, Long Beach, highlights his recent meta-analysis of 34 studies. So 34 studies regarding the unique role Father's play in child rearing. He found statistically significant effects between good fathering and a number of outcomes for both boys and girls. So I think he's discovered that there is an effect of good fathering as it pertains to children. Janice looked at whether fathers make a unique contribution in raising children compared to moms. The meta-analysis included 37,300 subjects. In the study, Janice and his team defined the unique fatherhood contribution as paternal monitoring, involvement, and child-rearing activities that can be distinguished from activities undertaken by the mother, another guardian, relative, or a caregiver. So what he's saying is they're different. Dads are different. A clear theme emerged. I like this part. While mothers were often shown as the more nurturing parent, fathers appeared to be more involved in preparing children to deal with life. Fathers also seemed to more realistically assess their children's future behavioral problems. Think about that. Dads, according to the study, seem to be more sensitive to behavior in the young children that could lead to potential problems and set out to try to correct that well good 
Okay, so, so we go on. In some cases, fathers were better predictors of their child's future cognitive performance than moms were. Janice also found that father involvement or monitoring was associated with lower rates of delinquency and substance abuse among boys and girls. That's in addition to students performing better in school and having better attitudes while in school. While the analysis showed mothers consistently demonstrated higher average levels of patience and nurturing than fathers, fathers tended to expect more of their children and placed greater emphasis on the preparatory aspect of child-rearing more so than mothers. Seems like they complement each other, don't it? Results also suggest that there is often a balance established when the unique role of the father is combined with the distinct role of the mother. All they'd had to have done is read their Bible and they could have, you know. According to Genesis' analysis, the importance of fathering is undeniable and father involvement is greatly connected to family structure. Oh, there's the family. He also asserts that father engagement is best facilitated in two-parent families, mainly because single-parent families tend to be headed by mothers. He works in California. I don't know if he still does. <clears throat> Janice also cites a 2015 article appearing in Education Next, indicating that children living in two-parent families consistently receive more schooling than those in single-parent families, with the gap increasing over time. Additionally, statistical analysis of nationwide data shows that on average, children raised by their biological parents in intact married families academically outperformed their counterparts who lived in cohabiting families and never married and single-parent families. This is, this is a meta-analysis study. This is data. So coming from a two-parent intact family uh, helps kids experience high levels of mother and father engagement. Both. Both ways. Although it does not guarantee that mothers and fathers will be involved, nevertheless, the changing makeup in family structure in recent decades has ultimately made father involvement more difficult. And so that's pretty much the, the end of what they have to say. And then they give some rationale on how to in, uh, basically encourage uh, fathers. What we know is this. God created them in the beginning, male and female. In the beginning, he created them. And then, man was created. So man was created first, and then Eve. Okay? Eve was tempted, and as was Adam. Notice that, that, the, that the enemy, Satan, tempted Eve. Paul alludes to this, I think, in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, and said it was Eve who was tempted first, okay? And then Adam. What was Adam doing? Standing by, watching. Knowing full well what he was supposed to do as a father, as a husband, to mandate, to protect, and he did not. And so she ate, and he did too. And then the rest is, is history. I want to talk today then about if you're here and you're a man, and specifically as a father, grandfather, I don't want to talk about the time wasted. I want to talk about going forward from here. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to talk from this angle. In honor of God, as we do every Sunday, let's stand in honor of God and in honor of His Word. Okay? In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that He had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray you would add your blessing to it, to our heart. We pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us 
where we fall short, but also that you would reveal to us how great and gracious you are in building us back and making us men of God. Father, whether we be male or female here, we know we have a treasure of knowing you in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that his name would be made much of today as we seek to understand leading from love to be a good dad in this world, a good man. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I was, it was Monday morning. Uh, I had climbed off the treadmill and I was taking a shower and all this kind of came to me. And I thought, well, I guess that's what we're preaching about on Sunday. And some of these questions, this is just as it came during that time. Of course, you know, it wasn't while I was washing my hair because it would have been a much shorter message. Okay, but, 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 but we have some substance here. And I realize that that may be too small for you to read. That's okay. It's more for me. But I want to give you this thought, men. And I'm talking specifically to you. Um, where you lead from will determine where you lead to. You say, well, that sounds very uh, philosophical. But, but it's, it's true. Where you lead from, that which you derive your leadership from, will determine where you lead to that, that end result. What you will have as an outcome. And the only thing that I can say is, is it reminds me of Jesus' words, um, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then secondly, you, you love your neighbor as yourself. You say, what, has, what does that have to do with being a father? Well, it has everything. What does it have to do with leadership? Everything. Because if, if, if the Lord your God is who you love the most, and who you pursue the most, and whom you, you seek out moment by moment in your life, then your leadership, the leadership of your family, and the leadership of your friends will ultimately arrive at the destination of an awareness of the greatness of God. So where you lead from will determine where you lead to. The reason for this question that the Pharisees posed to Jesus, the question of which is the great commandment or which is the great commandment of the law is a reference back to the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, or what we would know too as the two tables of the law, which we know the first four dealing with our relationship to God, and then the last six dealing with our relationship to each other, right? Okay. It is generally accepted that the Pharisees approaching Jesus on this matter was not a nefarious act. Now, most of the time, when the Pharisees approached Jesus, and it says things like they gathered together to question him, it was to incite some kind of inefficiency or fault in Jesus. They were trying to find fault. But this scholars seem to agree that this was a, genu- a genuine approach because the Pharisees were greatly concerned with keeping every letter to, of the law. Something I learned, too, just by way of church history preparing to teach through some of that soon. Um, the, the, the Sadducees, you know, there were two groups. There were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And really quick, the Sadducees, as, as I view them, I always see them more of the liberal side of things. But actually, the Romans saw them more as the conservative side of things. The reason so is because the Sadducees uh, really neglected or uh, rejected the resurrection. And angels... They were more what you might call rational people. So as such, the Roman authorities really appreciated them for their conservatism of stability. It was when you got into the Pharisees that you got into the resurrection and angels and things of that nature and a coming Messiah, which if you're a Roman authority, the last thing you wanted was an uprising from a mob who has hope that somehow God is going to bring a Messiah. And of course he did. And then Jesus came. So the Sadducees were more of descendants from what we would call the Hellenization, what we would call Greek-speaking Jews, 
Okay, they, this, this happened hundreds of years beforehand, this development of this, what we would call the Sadducees mindset and the Hellenization of the Jewish culture. But the Pharisees remained so steadfast to the law and they grabbed that after coming out of the Babylonian captivity. They lost their idolatry, right? But in so doing, they elevated the law to becoming basically an idol of its own. And they were consumed with the question of how do we live the Ten Commandments and everything of life? So, if I'm out making ice cream, how can I keep one of the commandments? What would be, what would be the air of the commandment as I am out fishing or sleeping or resting? How far is too far if I'm walking? I, and they had such a reverence for the law. That's all, they con, that's all they concerned themselves about. They were obsessed with it. That's why when, in A.D. 70 when the temple burned down, the Pharisees continued to function and operate. The Sadducees went into oblivion. That was it. Okay? Because there was, but the Pharisees had such a commitment to the law that the Jewish culture continued to operate under that in what we know is, you know, we, we had synagogues and all those things that perpetuated. The reason that's important is because when they, when they approached Jesus, they genuinely wanted to know how, how do I keep, what's the greatest commandment? Well, there's ten. Which one, Jesus, would you say is the best one? Right? Splitting hairs, man. But Jesus answered that question, and and that's why he said what he said. The answer Jesus gives when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Actually takes the, the two tables of the law. Okay. And sufficiently, through an adequate distillation of their truths, shows them the motivation for life. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Does that not sum up the first four? Adi- oh, it does very well. And then, and then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Does that not sum up the last six? Don't knock them in the head when they're not looking and kill them. Don't take their wife. Don't take their stuff. Don't lie. You know, all that. And Jesus said, that's, that's, the, greatest, that's the greatest commandment. You shall, everything you do is dependent on what you do with your love for God. Dads, the way you love your family, the way you lead your family is determined by how you love your God. I know you're a provider. You're supposed to. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. And if you don't provide for your family, you should be considered worse than a tax collector and a sinner. But that's not the end. The work is not the end. It's a means to provide for the family. They need you. Where does that begin? You want to know know how to love your children well? And we'll see this at the very last slide today. Is you you love their mother well. You love them well. I promise you this. You will have a happy home when you love your wife and pour out upon her the affections that Jesus designed in the family before the foundation of the world. And your children will be like, oh, you know. But inside there's a security that's built into that. For fathers and Christian men in general, it is a referent, this Issue of the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. It is a a point of origin from which Jesus identifies the motive for living. So I'm going to ask you a question, guys. What is your motive for living? The world will tell you as a man, get more stuff. You know, and, and I would say, I used to say, we used to say, it was to be tough and strong. I think now it's to, to wear skinny jeans and dye your hair red. You know? Either way is the death of God-given masculinity. Okay? What's your motive? Who do you live for? Because where you lead from will determine where you lead to. God ordained the Father to lead the family. Ephesians 5.23 says this, For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. But you think, how in the name of thunder am I supposed to do that? Well, Ephesians 5 then. Turn to Ephesians 5. 
I'm going to go through this just a little bit. So, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, then you will be equipped to not only love your neighbor as yourself for certain, but you'll be able to equip to do this. Verse 1, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You're going to want to do that. You're going to want to imitate God. And notice what it says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. Where you lead from will determine where you lead to. If you lead from love, men, you're going to lead people to Jesus. Christ, as Christ loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, the operative word here is sacrifice. Men, God has called you to live as a godly man and as a father to sacrifice for him, to lay your life down. But notice verse 3 and 4. So, so with that in mind, Paul is saying, but fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, and all these things, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, these aren't fitting for you as a Christian man. Who are you trying to imitate? You have to know something. There's something I hate. And it's getting worse by the, by the year. I hate hate profanity i mean when i hear when you say something when when you speak pejoratively in an adjectival form of profanity you've immediately lost my attention because you cannot articulate your thought you need to read more okay i i don't want to hear you now it's over and, and that includes, I don't care who you are, okay? You've, you've lost it. You've, you've, if, and if I know you to be a Christian man, I just, I'm thinking, do you actually have to use Satan's vocabulary to describe what you're trying to say? Do you have to stoop that low? Read more. Read your Bible more. Let the praises of God leak out your mouth. Because as a man thinks in himself, so is he. And clearly you think that way a lot. Or it wouldn't just come out. So this is how we're supposed to be. Godly. Different. Now look. Lest you think, oh, there he goes. Legalism. <laughs> Whatever. Don't let, don't let Satan steal the... The, the purity of this message by saying legalism. There ain't nobody here perfect. If, if, if I squash my thumb with a finger and it splits down the middle, like I can see the bone, God help me not to say anything bad. And then I'm going to throw up. Okay. But I'm saying, let it be predictable in our behavior to not speak that way. Oh, and if we do, let it be mortifying to our soul. Where you go like... Uh, I just want to apologize to you for the filth that just came out my mouth. And then you repent and you move on. Don't settle for it, guys. Rise above. Okay? But he goes on. I got some other stuff. Let's skip down to eight. For, for He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Reflect Jesus. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's the man of God's heart. That's the woman of God's heart. That's the Christian's heart. And finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have you ever stopped and prayed, Lord, today, what's acceptable to you for me? What's acceptable for, for me to do? Should I just go do it willy-nilly? Are you sensitive to the Spirit enough to say, if he's prompting you, if you're there in the house at night and, and you're watching TV or you're on the internet or whatever, if the Spirit is prompting you, turn it off. Do you turn it off? Because he's telling you to turn it off because there's something about to flash in front of your face. You know what pornography is? It's meth to the soul. That, it's meth. Wouldn't that be right, Brian? Meth to the soul. And it rots you from the inside out. And it just so happens that God created men as visual creatures, hence all the chrome in the world. Okay? And the cool things 
and knickknacks and what have you that operate and do great things and most of which, you know, whatever. But when if he can grab your eyes, mm, that's like taking a hit of meth in the heart. You don't need that. So learn to walk as sensitive men of God to say, it's off. Why turn TV off, cuz? Oh, by the way, women. This is another peeve of mine. I'm speaking to Christian women here who have a Christian man, husband. Okay. If your husband is trying to lead your family, family spiritually, God forbid that you try to disrupt that. God forbid that you try to discourage him. You say, but he's just an infant in the faith. Well, help him to cry right. Teach him to crawl. It'll benefit you because he's going to go bigger than you anyway. And, and you help that man lead. What is the designator, Jeff, of the woman when given to the man in Genesis? She was his helper, helpmate. She helps him. Help him grow. God forbid that the Lord in your home should find you working against the work of his spiritual leadership. Build him up. Pray for him. That doesn't mean roll over. Because boy, I tell you what, Rindy won't roll over on me. Okay. She very articulately shows me what I could have did better. She doesn't surrender. And she helps me. For your sake, you should thank her for that. But that's your role. Don't stifle a willing husband's spiritual leadership. Don't do it. We go on down the text here. Have no, no, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Do you know what that's an allusion to? That's 2 Corinthians 6. You, you don't, you don't, men, don't run around in unequally yoked together relationships. What would y'all think? If we, I'm going to pick on Brian because he's safe. Uh, what, if, what would y'all think if y'all saw Brian hanging down on the corner with a bunch of no good folks that you know are up to trouble and he's sitting there with them hanging out and doing all that they're doing? Would you want to say, what are you doing? And he said, well, they're my good friends. Get new friends. No, we would say no. Because what are we afraid of? They're going to suck him in. Right? So the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 to not be unequally yoked together with non-believers. That's not just men. That's women, boys and girls, relationships. And that, that, that leads me to another thing I want to just say here. You may be a man and you may be in a marriage where your wife is not a believer. Well, what do I do? You follow God first. It doesn't change. You still lead. You say, what if, well, she gets upset and I go to church. Well, she'll be glad when you get back. Okay? You do what you need to do and you follow the Lord. You say, well, I'm a wife and my husband doesn't believe. You follow the Lord and love Him with all your heart. You, you prove what it is to have Jesus in real life. But men... We are to protect our families from these, these influences of the world. I was always watching over my children and the relationships they had. And how do you do that? You ask them questions. You know, when they were in school, how was school? Fine. What'd you do? Stuff. Talk to anyone? Some, po some people. You got to dig in there. And, and, and you dig in and you find out, well, well I hung out with so-and-so. And you let them tell their story. Like, well, well, who's he? What's he about? What, what, what kind of stuff does he talk about? Hmm. Okay, now listen, son. He's not a Christian. Your job is to be an influence to him. So you do that. But if I find out and I see that it's the other way, that thing's terminated. Line drawn. Same for my, for my girl. That's our job. We, we lead our families. We want to influence the world around us, but I will not offer up my family to the world. I will protect them. 
whether it be, it, and that includes my wife even. Now, you know, but it's kind of scary to talk about that. But, you know, um, but I'm just saying that's what we do for each other. Dating relationships, they know better. Business relationships, I've seen this go south on people all the time. You do not do that. You do not yoke together unequally and expect a good outcome. One of the saddest things I've seen in the church, dads and moms, is when we have families who have unbelieving spouses and that connectedness that's desired is not there. It's, it hurts, it harms, and it's sad. And that home then is not dovetailed together whole. And those kids see that. There's a tension there, right? So, so don't have fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. And then it says down here, It is even shameful to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. You... You don't talk about that nasty stuff. And yet that's news today, by the way, if you know. They talk, that's all they do is talk about nasty stuff. Well, you go on over there and you get finally to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Did you see that? Most women who have a problem with this say, He wants me to submit to Him. But now, first of all, <laughs> who? Who are you submitting to? It says to him, yes, but as to the Lord. As to the Lord. As to the Lord. And then, for the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, now here's the big deal. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And I love this last part. He gave himself up for her. I don't imagine, and I've done lots of marriage counseling over the years, and what I see most of the time, it's not always this way. There's always exceptions to every statement, but generally speaking, I see women who want their men to love them, listen to them, nurture them, protect them, and, and love them like they did when they courted. To, that they know they're special. And then I often look at the husband, and the husband is sleepily disengaged somewhere over, you know. They fill their lives with things that are not as meaningful. But I'm here to tell you, men, if you want to put your marriage into orbit, right, you start loving your wife as Christ loved the church. If you got a flower bush next to your house, when you get up in the morning, go pick one, put it in a cup. And just say, I'm going to do this. You're going to throw up. This bud's for you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, leave a marker in the bathroom and on the toilet paper roll. When it pulls over, just say, here's an I love you coming at you. Okay. <laughs> or or just, just whatever it could be. Just surprise them with your pursuit of them. And when you begin to do that. That coldness that you have in your home will melt away. Okay? Love them. Love Jesus. Where's all this come from? I'm here to tell you. The Lord will say, it's a good opportunity to write something on that mug. This is a good opportunity. Pick that and put it there. Pursue them. Love them. Let the, let the children see it. Then they'll know. I think of... Uh, I think of... Uh, <clears throat> Abraham here a little bit. Genesis 18, 16 through 19. Remember, we're talking about where you lead from will determine where you lead to. The, then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom, and Abram went with them to them on, on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So they're getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Guess for what? It's first sodomy and perversion. Yes, that's right. And so here's what Abraham says. I mean, here's what God says. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. What did God expect Abraham to do? Yes, that they should keep the way of the Lord. Now, Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? 
Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. To do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And I just saw some things here. Notice God's motivation for telling Abraham his plans. Number one, he knew him. Abraham had a relationship with God. To be a Christian man is to have a relationship with Jesus. It's relational. How do you do that? Well, you don't just do it by coming to church any more than parking in a garage is going to make you a car. Okay? So you, at some point, through the grace of God prompting your soul through conviction, you give your life to Him in repentance and faith. And you become a born-again believing child of God. So you have a, a relationship with you. Number two, that He may command His children in His household. This is leadership. You will lead men, good or bad. You will lead. That they may keep the way of the Lord. The legacy of faith. The legacy. I want my grandson to know Jesus. I want him to be infatuated with Jesus at a young age. I want him to be accused of being a Bible thumper. I want him to be accused of being a faith person. I want him to have the fire of God in his belly in his generation and preach the word of God faithfully and without apology. I want, his, I want that young man to be a legacy. But do you know where that starts? That's knee work. I figured something out about being a dad. Stand up, son. Just stand up. Come up and stand by me. He's bigger than me now. (laughs) If I was to discipline in an unfortunate way with him, it wouldn't be discipline anymore. It would be a matter of survival. Okay. I can't do anything with him. I can't make him do anything. He's even... Harder than me. Okay. okay. Even Jessie, I, I wouldn't bring her up because she doesn't want to be like that, but they're too big for me now. This is all I can do. God, take my children. Give them hearts to pursue you. Don't let them get off into what I did and waste time. They don't have it. Cause them to, to compel them into your word. Make their path straight to Jesus every day. Cause them, Lord, in their, in their conduct, in the way they carry themselves, to display the risen reality of Christ. Give them a burden for souls. Make them men and women of prayer. And God, use them for your glory. Give them favor. Take my grandson and let him see mom and dad loving Jesus. And may he desire to know Jesus too. And then use his life to reach many. God, I cannot force them anymore. I cannot spank them anymore. But God, I can pray for them and I can ask you to do it. And that's what we pray. That's leading like Jesus. That's the legacy of faith. Lastly, that the Lord may bring... All that he has spoken to him. Future promise. Future promise. I was told that there was a, on my grandma's side, she was full German, that there were Methodist riding circuit preachers, circuit riding, circuit riding Methodist preachers back in those days. And if you don't know what that is, the Methodist church, upon when, when you had westward expansion in America, they had churches all around, but they couldn't have preachers everywhere, pastors, so they had circuit riding pastors and preachers. And they'd take on their horse, and they would ride and ride and preach and ride and preach. And so that heritage is there. On my grandpa's side, I'm not quite sure, but I know this. The only thing, memory that I have is my grandma, she was a praying woman. And though she didn't smile much, I think God smiled at her. Because I can't explain to you why I'm here. And, and, and there was a legacy of faith in my family. Not perfect. No. But it's there. 
Dads. Dads. Men. Where you lead from will determine where you lead to. I have another example. Job. Everyone knows old Job? Okay. Verse chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And his sons would go and feast in their houses from time to time, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, this was his daddy's heart. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly. Dads, men, husbands. Do you think about your family like that? Here's an honest question. It deserves an honest answer. If the answer is no, just say so. Not out loud. Say so. And say, God, you know I'm distracted with this thing and that thing and that aspiration and that over there. And God, I want you to take my stuff and make it less. And put my family and my responsibility as a Christian man in my soul. So that I may do this regularly. So that I may intercede for my children. So that I may intercede for my wife. So that I may intercede for my friends. Because it may be, Lord, it may be that somebody has cursed God in their hearts. And I want to pray for them, God, that you would get a hold of them. And show them what life is really about and how to live it. And Lord, it's going to take some time. Would you spend it with me? You're living a God-centered life at that point. Job's concern for the spiritual well-being of his family is evident by his commitment to intercede for them through early morning burnt offerings and what he reveals as his greatest fear. And that's in Job chapter 3, verse 25. You know what Job's greatest fear was? For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me, and it was the loss of his children. I can't imagine. God helped the man or woman who, because of the years, got so focused on the retirement or the 401 or the reputation that the children are now grown and uninfluenced. By spiritual things. Congratulations. You have a retirement now. Good for you. Your kids are over there. Way over there. And that's just. We, we can't do anything about the world. You know. They can fuss and fight and feud. And they're doing that. But in the church of Jesus. I don't care what label you have on the door. In the church of Jesus Christ of present day saints. Okay. I would say this. The answer lies. In our families. And it begins with me. It begins with you. Lay your pride down. Lay your expectations down. Of what you think it ought to be. Get your Bible. Fall on your face before God. And you stay there. Until he's given you a new heart. Lead. From love. For God. These verses that we just read. Demonstrate. That as fathers. Husbands. Or just men in this world. That one's leadership must come from a heart of love. For God first. For God first. As I said before, Jesus said, when asked, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I do believe there's another place where it says, and your strength. And then you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You certainly won't love your neighbor as yourself unless you love God first. You won't love your wife like you should if you're not loving God first. You won't love your kids like you could. If you don't love God first. And this kind of love can only be given by the Holy Spirit. 
and as such is dependent, this is key, upon the daily, moment by moment, surrendering to His leadership. Do you understand that? Daily surrendering to His leadership. Daily giving in to God. Daily letting it, laying it down to the Lord. I, I realize that in your work position, that it's fast-paced. Some of you live on the phone constantly. You're inundated with drama and questions. If you work for a corporation, it's even worse. But know this, that the strength of God is sufficient for you. And He has you there or else you wouldn't be there. He intends for you to be a godly man there. Doesn't mean you won't fail in as much as the, as the non-Christian world sees the way we praise God. Let the non-Christian world see the way we repent. Amen. And live like Jesus. A godly man must seek to nurture his own love for God before he may seek to nurture it in others. It all begins, man, with you and God. God made you to be a man. His man. God's called you to fatherhood, then you be one and be an imitator of the one whom you claim to know. You look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, on how to conduct yourself. And then you aspire to go there. Lastly, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But notice this word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in His law, He meditates day and night. Is that true of you? I'm going to pick just one last time. Okay? Picking at a little thread here. I hear from men often when I'll say something about reading the Bible. Have you read your Bible? Are you reading your Bible? And they'll say, oh, I don't like to read. And I want to say... You better learn to read then, because the world is going to read for you, okay? And if you're not reading the Scripture to tell your people, your kids, your family truth, the devil will sure tell them something. You'll read operator's manuals. Oh, yeah. You get a new gun or a new engine or a new something, you'll sit down and study that thing so you can know how it works. You get a... Maybe you're into trucks or mechanics or whatever it could be. You get a new welder. You're going to read that operator's manual, aren't you? You want to go cook a brisket? You're going to read how that works, aren't you? Do you see what I'm saying? Read. I'm going to say this too. I heard this once. I I think Spurgeon said it, but it could be wrong. And if I am sorry, he gets credited with a lot of stuff. He's like, oh, I didn't say that. But leaders are readers. That doesn't mean that that you have to be an academic to be a leader. But it does mean this. The more informed you are by reading godly men and the scriptures, scriptures first, the more able you will be to be influential in, in those that you're around because you're informed. Leaders, therefore, are readers. Leaders reading the scripture say, man, did you know that you can actually delight in the law of the Lord? Do you? Do you delight in it? D.O. Moody said this, a man ought to live so that everybody knows he is a Christian. And most of all, his family ought to know. That's good stuff. Henry Ward Beecher The most important thing a father can do for his children is to love their mother. You know what my favorite hobby in the whole world is? Loving Rindy. I love to love her. I do. I love 
to love her. I love to do things like that. It hasn't always been that I, but the Lord has been so good to me. It's that probably one of the most fundamental revelations from Scripture that I ever had in studying the Holy Spirit was that if God gave her to me as a helper, then how serious is it a matter of me listening to her? I must listen to her. And then, you know, if when you're in academic writing, it's always good to be able to cite your work from a credible source. So lest you think I'm making that up, I bet it was probably about three or four months later, I was listening to something John MacArthur said in a snippet, and he said the same thing, and I thought, ah, I'm not off. But a man who loves the Lord will love his wife second, and he will listen to her. How you trust or how you treat your wife, men, Christian men, let me tell you this, you remember this. How you treat your wife is a direct reflection of how you treat and interact with the Holy Spirit of God. That's right. She's your helper. Don't make her yell at you. Don't, don't make it to the point where they're back in the crowd and they no longer try anymore because you won't listen anyways. You listen to what she says. And you pray for her soul. Because wife, if that's your role, God help you to fulfill it. Because we listening. I'm listening. Okay. I think that's about it. JT? How do we end this one today? I guess it's dads, husbands, men. Are you leading from where you want to lead to? Do you know Jesus? Is he first? Before you leave today, you get that right. This is where they would say, classically, man up. <laughs>